All right. So we're back. CFPs that stack. Um, if you like the name again, um, it's my idea. If you don't, it's Trent's. So <laughs> with that, we're excited to have another guest, Jacob Phelps, who is a CFP financial planner. Uh, Jacob grew up in Indiana, attended Purdue University. He moved and left to Colorado. Uh, I don't really understand why we're going to press him on on some of that today. Indiana is one of the greatest states out there. We definitely do miss you here. Indiana has a lot of people that that typically leave the state, and uh, it's unfortunate. So with that, we're going to talk about your passion for Bitcoin, financial planning, and, and kind of how you got to, to where you are today. So Jacob, thank you so much for carving out some time to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I think you were the first uh, outdoor location recording we've had, and I love it. Yeah, so embracing nice. the sun would make a lot of people on Bitcoin Twitter happy. I know that's been trending yeah. lately, but I honestly have started to try to be very intentional about my sun time as mm -hmm. well. Because Indiana, uh, as you know, Jacob, there's a lot of months where you just get nothing but gray. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, it's sunny. We're getting outside. We're doing it. So um, I want to ask you, as being someone that grew up in Indiana, right? Indiana is not necessarily the hotbed for adopting new technology. Um, it's not necessarily a place that you you typically see at the forefront of stuff. And Bitcoin is definitely an interesting um, discussion. Uh, it's an interesting technology. We obviously think it's a it's a big deal. But what was your kind of introduction to Bitcoin, and and why did you decide to to make it more of a, a focal point? Yeah, well, it was it was actually in college. It was my first kind of foray into bitcoin and it's i mean it was kind of the usual where it's not just bitcoin it's crypto it's everything i think actually the first thing i ever did was on my laptop in college i mined doge so honestly don't know what happened to that wallet and what you know what what happened there but that was kind of my first uh you know experience with that and that was 2000 what 14, 15, probably. So it was basically just one of oh, those wow. things that was trying to learn more about this. I saw it on Reddit, I'm pretty sure, originally, and just trying to figure out what in the world and, you know, all this is about. So did that, bought some Bitcoin, and then didn't touch it for a number of years. Unfortunately, didn't buy as much as I would have liked to, but I was also a poor college kid. So I didn't <laughs> excess money to uh, buy, buy a lot of Bitcoin anyways. But that was probably my first exposure. And then it's, I mean, it's just that kind of continual wheel where it's like, all right, I, I got exposure. Then 2017 bull run happens. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I have a Coinbase account. Went and checked there. Yep. Okay, cool. I've got a couple of forks. Don't know what these things are. How do I get rid of them? Um, you know, and kind of check back in then. And that's when I maybe started being more regular um in my learning about bitcoin um and just kind of seeing what's going on it still wasn't like a, a big part of you know what was fun for me to discover and kind of know more about but i at least was hey i should put some money in here so um did that for a couple of years and then my my kind of proverbial dive down the rabbit hole was 2020 uh covid changed my life in a lot of ways actually um, moved out to Colorado, which I, I, I totally hear what you're saying about Indiana, but I just absolutely love the mountains. And unfortunately, Indiana has exactly zero mountains. And so uh, <laughs> I had to find somewhere that had a little bit more than that. But, uh, COVID was a huge change. We moved out to Colorado. I got a house out here. I switched jobs. My job, actually, it's a good job out here. 
Um, it was probably just six or nine months or something when we moved out here. And it was absolutely awful. Hated it. But what it was is I actually had a lot of free time. And that's where I spent a lot of time uh, learning about Bitcoin. Actually, I used uh, used it to learn about that. Um, you know, read the, the Bitcoin standard, read kind of some of those uh, those intro pieces, so to say. And just really dove in. And then just me personally, I, I'm kind of a techie in general. Um, like during college, I was doing, you know, took some programming courses, doing some small Android applications, like just not anything super, super technical where I could go and make a career out of it, but enough that I knew what in the world I was doing. Um, and so that's kind of the angle I came to Bitcoin with too, is it's just like what was so fascinating to me. Sure. It's like all this kind of broad based implications and more maybe the, theory or philosophy of what uh impact bitcoin can have but to me it was more the technical side and i don't i don't need to understand the exact code but at least understanding you know in general like hey what what is this what is it what does it mean to have different address types or what does it mean to have a multi-sig wallet like questions that are you know somewhat simple to answer now but when you're getting into it you're like i don't understand any of this so that's how i originally got you know got in there or got into Bitcoin and kind of the path I took. And that's, that's where I've continued going. It's, it's, uh, as you guys know, it's a very deep, uh, it's just never ending, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. I didn't know that we were in the presence of a Dogecoin OG. Truly. I'm honored. <laughs> so <thank you. laughs> it's fantastic to have, yeah. uh, your, your cut, on the podcast. So if you got, if 2020 really opened your eyes, you know, that's the time when Elon Musk is tweeting about Dogecoin. Why would you ever be convinced that a finite supply digital asset could potentially be more valuable than another digital asset that literally has no cap on its supply for all of eternity, all of eternity? (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, like that's already what we have. So why would I want a little dog coin to replicate that, right? Like, it's just, it, it, it is interesting because it's like, how do you get from, um, you know, having all, because I did, I mean, I had all coins enough. I did too. For sure. It's like, you know, however many, it's like, how do you get from here to there? And it's just, I don't know. You just start learning more about Bitcoin and it starts making a heck of a lot more sense than the rest of that. So, yeah, I actually, I'm pretty sure I was the one that recommended uh, Doge to Elon got him hooked on that so you're, you're welcome for all of that and definitely totally came from me no but yeah man it's just it it really is though it's like you you look at all the people in our space not just bitcoin but crypto and even the ancillary um folks to it and it's just everybody is so strong in their opinion and it's like how do you get from here to there and i still don't necessarily know what made me go you know, Bitcoin mm-hmm. on it just, it literally is what made the most sense to me. Like this makes more sense than it's certainly the sort of financial system we have today. And then just basically seeing that every other coin is just a replication of that, the financialization of everything. It just, it made sense. Mm-hmm. One thing that I've noticed is there's uh, this kind of core thesis or, or, or character, characteristic trait in some Bitcoiners, especially earlier adopters, that they maybe were slightly disagreeable or pushed back against things as a child. And I was, um, per uh, people knowing me growing up that were much older, a hellion and a difficult child to raise. <laughs> um, 
do you think is that you at all or were you were you always were you just always curious um do you do you think there was any of those traits that kind of kind of pre pre you know pre coiner jacob that was that was primed and ready for bitcoin it just didn't know it yet yeah yeah definitely curiosity more than disagreeable i would say uh, i say actually for the most part i'm probably too agreeable for a lot of things which is mostly a good trait sometimes not um but yeah you're just I nicer mean, than me that's okay <laughs> yeah well maybe I, I don't know about that but um <laughs> no it, 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 like the curiosity is really what gets me and then it's this you know i was raised in a farm on a farm i should say and i think there is this and kind of inherent just view you have of the world growing up in that um and I don't know. I, I feel like some of it just gets down to it get, gave me a good bullshit detector, like growing up in that environment, because it's just I, I don't I couldn't put my finger on what it is. And maybe it's more me than it is my environment. But that's what I feel like. And that's just I mean, when I look at coins, when I look at the other things, like that's what would continue going on. And it's just it's like this made more and more sense than Bitcoin did. So, yeah, I mean, for me, definitely the biggest thing is curiosity um, and then also propensity to just be uh, a contrarian. I mean, that is, I posted this on Twitter a while ago. I think my actual, like my first step in going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole was actually reading the book Born to Run, which I don't know if you guys have heard of that at all or read it, but basically all it, mm -hmm. it talks about is it's this, um, it's kind of twofold. One is there's this tribe in the mountains of Mexico who literally just, cut out tires like rubber tires time to their feet and then they'll go run for 50 100 miles through the mountains and it's just i mean sandals that they'll lace up and go and do it on basically like little sleep little food little water it's just they can just go 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 and so the book was talking about you know that that tribe and that group and just how it's interesting that they can go and do that without any of the kind of modern stuff we use in running now modern footwear specifically um, and so it kind of started the whole like minimalist foot footwear, barefoot running movement, so to say. That's where you get like the five fingers, the toe shoes from. Um, and so I think that was my first foray because I read that and then I read Shoe Dog, which is the um, mm. Phil Knight, uh, Phil Knight biography. Yeah. And so it's like you read those back to back and you're like, okay, um, it wasn't Phil, but it was the Oregon coach. I don't remember what his name was, but you saw how he created shoes and it was literally just like a mad science experiment in his garage with a waffle maker to make like these shoes. And then you see these people out in the mountains running, you know, hundreds of miles. And it makes you think like, okay, if all modern footwear is based off of mad scientists and it's just like, this seems cool. And this, you know, this is what sells or this is what works. But you also have this other tribe that can go and do these crazy things without all that. Um, that's where it's kind of like that first light bulb of, oh, like just because everybody thinks a certain way or views the world this certain way, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right or that it's fully accurate or anything else. And so that's why I say that was my first foray, because that was right after college. I read both of those, you know, super, super impressionable age Uh so it's just like that's what got that light bulb or those wheels turning so that when I really started jumping into Bitcoin, it already had this lens of like, OK, like just again, the way things are done doesn't mean that that's the way things should be done or need to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting point of view. And a lot of people are, you know, deterred from Bitcoin because it is something new. 
uh, and people are scared of that. Uh, they think that it's too difficult to do so. Like self-custody is a perfect example, right? So Bitcoin is a bearer asset. It's one of the easiest bearer assets that you can take into your own custody and not have to rely on any third party to do for you or put your trust in anybody else. And when I say those words, you know, that sounds very scary, right? But when you actually do it for the first time, then the second time, then the third time, you realize, oh, it's not scary or, oh, it's not difficult. It's just new. Uh, and once you do it for the first few times, uh, then you can really, you know, get over that hurdle and realize that it's not so bad. And in fact, like, <laughs> if you guys remember setting up your direct deposit for the first time, like that's hard. Uh, and it's not even hard. It's just new. You know, you don't do it very often. Uh, but that can be scary too. Which one's the routing number? Which one is my account number? Uh, so, you know, so many different things are um, coming at it from the wrong point of view. Yeah, I know. It is crazy think... though when you like when you think about that. Because I mean, it's like with any new technology, even if it's not finance related, like, okay, the iPhone comes out and everybody's like, okay, wait, I, I touched this screen and I can hold things and I can like, it's just, it's the mm -hmm. learning curve is what is so, um, you know, difficult for most people. And I think that's why our roles are so important because, you know, there's not too many people. I, I don't think there's too many people at least that really want to go out and teach themselves new tech in general. They want to have it taught to them. And, you know, sure, you can go to YouTube and you can find that, but then you got to be willing to know what to search on YouTube and is this trustworthy, reliable, whatever. And so that's why I feel like our job is so, or can be so powerful because we can be that first step and it is a trusted relationship and we are doing it the right way as far as getting them to where they need to go and showing them that, yeah, this, this really isn't too much different than just transferring money between your bank accounts. Like, yes, it looks a little bit different. It feels a little bit different, but the process is almost exactly the same. And if anything, it's easier um, once you get a feel for it. And so like, there, I just think there's a ton of power in that and, and really, you know, orange pilling, onboarding people, whatever else, and just being big proponents of that. And, you know, I, I realize that, you know, there's, there's so few of us and there's so many people that, uh, that impact it's, uh, measured at least where it's at right now. But I hope that that just continues to grow and grow just as Bitcoin does. Yeah, totally. And I think there's a huge opportunity for advisors, like you said, because it is the trusted relationship to, to be part of the financial planning process is to walk them through trade-offs, custody, you know, security, um, privacy, best practices, like all these things where you can kind of scale it up over time. Just like if you meet with someone for the first time and they are brand new to investing, it's not like you're going to go into like such granular levels talking about all these like nuanced topics. It's going to be very high level, very basic. And it's the same thing with Bitcoin. And that's where I think financial, financial advisors and planners that get it are, are going to do really well, A, by their clients. B, if we're right on where Bitcoin goes price-wise, their clients are going to have a lot more freedom and flexibility to do a lot of cool planning and accomplish a lot of their goals. It's just like a, a match made in heaven, the way that yeah. I look at, at at Bitcoin and financial planning. Yeah. I mean, that's where, like, long-term, that's where I love thinking about it, is like, where does the financial advisor, financial planner fit within kind of this Bitcoin stuff long-term? Because theoretically, I mean, depending on what sort of Bitcoin future you want to imagine and picture, but theoretically, like there could be a future where, you know, people really hopefully shouldn't need to invest, right? Like that's part of the whole thesis on Bitcoin is like investing and saving are now blended and they don't need to be blended. 
save and then we can invest. And, and you can, there's a future you could see where the majority of people shouldn't have to invest. And so I know for a lot of advisors, that's, you know, what their kind of uh, forte is, is, okay, well, we help you invest in XYZ, index fund this, active investment, that, whatever. But it's super fun to think about not just that piece of it, but like all these new, a lot of layer two type stuff that are getting built right now and how the advisor fits in. Like I look at um, like lightning service providers or a Fediment type thing or the new, what is it? The arc service provider, the, that layer two. I, I don't know all the details around mm-hmm. all of them. What I do know is that these are all semi custodial type things that you need to understand Bitcoin a, a decent amount to be able to interact with them, right? You got to have a node. You got to have a lightning node that you run in, probably going to have like an arc node or whatever at some point if that really uh, would take hold that you're running. But it's like we as the advisors could almost, I almost see like a transition from uh, like being an advisor or financial planner and that still being a part of it but being like a new age community bank type thing where it's like, we are the central hub to interact with all these different various protocol layer one, layer two, whatever it is like, Oh, Hey, you, you, uh, you know, coin join is still thinking, all right. Yeah. We, we can run you through our coin join implementation here. And some of it's going to go to your work wallet, which is going to be your daily spend. Some of it's going to go to your cold storage for savings. Um, being like that central Mm -hmm. hub and again it's based around this kind of trusted relationship and the ability of bitcoin to get us back to these kind of small trusted communities and that could be in the physical space like i see huge opportunity there with small towns specifically like hey i don't want to trust the wells fargo or the chase or the whatever the big banks that are coming in if they would you know whoever they are in a bitcoin standard type thing but it could even be like the sovereign individual type thing um, where it's all digital, you know, small community type things. It's like, OK, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm part of this, um, you know, not country per se. I don't know. what I forget what the book kind of classifies it as. But like because I am a citizen of that community or that digital community, I now get these benefits of having these sort of, um, you know, financial access pieces on the Bitcoin standard. And so that that to me is just it's I mean, it's all theoretical, of course, like the TBD mm-hmm. where any of this goes ultimately. But that is what is so interesting to me, especially right now when it just seems like there's new layer two, layer three things coming out, you know, every single day, just about. So you just went zero to 100 in terms of <laughs> Bitcoin jargon and L2s and ARC. And I love it. I love it. And you and Isaiah, if I'm going down the wrong path, you just let me know. But uh, you mentioned earlier, Jacob, that you are more of a technical guy. Um, yeah. So let's talk about running your own node. Uh, this is something that we haven't talked about on the podcast before, but nodes are a vital part of the Bitcoin ecosystem. So on a very high level, talk to us about running your own node and why you do it and maybe some things that you do on there. Take it however you want. Yeah. So high level running your own node is just having a specialized computer that has a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain that you you personally can use to interact with the Bitcoin blockchain. So, you know, it, it literally could just be an old laptop you have sitting around your house. You know, I personally went so I've got just a little Raspberry Pi, which is a tiny little computer board with an external hard drive hooked up to it. Uh, 
And so, you know, it's again, it's one of those things that there is some technical knowledge that needs to be had, but it's getting simpler and simpler every day. And we're going to digress from this just in a second, but that is another cool aside of where Bitcoin nodes have gone and Umbral and Start Labs and all these specifically is it's not just Bitcoin nodes anymore. It's all this other kind of self-hosting type things. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that's a whole nother login that's interesting, but that's all it is. A little tiny computer has your own personal copy of the blockchain, allows you to interact with Bitcoin. And what I mean by that is, so when you send from wallet A to wallet B, so you send from your checking Bitcoin account to your savings Bitcoin account, you have to have a copy of the blockchain to do that. You got to be able to say, all right, hey, I, I can see historically what was ha- what has happened on the blockchain. So I know which uh, UTXOs is the technical term, but basically which Bitcoin is mine. Um, and then, you know, your your wallet is the one that signs that transaction and says, all right, well, he has the ability to send it to wherever. And what happens then is when you sign that transaction, when, so when you hit send to move from wallet A to wallet B, that transaction, it doesn't immediately get put into the Bitcoin, Bitcoin blockchain. It gets put into a waiting room. I call it the mempool. I think most people do. Um, and what happens with that is when you're sending, and it's in this kind of waiting room period there, is you are using somebody's computer to do that, somebody's node to do that. And so most people, that's just whatever uh, computer and node that their wallet is using. So you if you download like Blue Wallet on your phone, send from wallet A to wallet B, that's going to use whatever node Blue Wallet has as their default node which is fine for most people. But the trade-off there is that's not as private because you don't know who can see that node, access that node's information, or who is recording that node's information. And so, um, you know, when you think about this whole, all right, if I buy on Coinbase, and KYC, know your customers, so they have my information. They know that Jacob Phelps bought, I'll say about five Bitcoin. That's not reality, but that's what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so they know that Jacob Phelps bought five Bitcoin. He sent it to wallet A, and now he's sending it to wallet B. So what happens is they can basically see that full process, especially if they can see this node in the middle to, uh, as well. They can confirm that, yes, this is Jacob Phelps and in from A to B because we have this node and the information that's contained therein. So when we talk about running your own node, um, it's basically just replacing a third-party computer that facilitates that transaction with a computer that you own that nobody else can see to facilitate that transaction. And there's multiple reasons that's important. One is there is additional privacy that comes with that, right? When you own a, a computer and a device, as long as nobody's accessing your internet, um, you know, it, it's much more private than it going to some th- sort of third party server. Um, Second to that, and this is what most people hit on, when you're running your own node, you are an active participant in the Bitcoin ecosystem, more so than if you just have your own wallet. And that's because, again, what what that has, what that node is, is a, it's a copy of the blockchain. And so what every single node across the network is doing, whether it's the one I own, that you guys own, that Coinbase is on, Blue Wallet owns, whoever, they all have their own copies and the of what Bitcoin is doing is saying, hey, this is the correct copy. And so all of our nodes have to agree on what that correct copy is. And so that's the power of running your own node is that if for some reason the Bitcoin network would go a direction that you did not agree with, you don't have to continue following where that goes, right? So, hey, if there's 
some sort of soft fork that you don't want to implement on your node or even a hard fork. Oh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going with a hard fork way, which I know those are technical terms too, but basically, um, all of our nodes have to agree by me running my own node. That means I get a say in what that agreement is. If I'm just using somebody else's node, then I'm just trusting that whatever they're doing is going to be the right thing for me and what I want to do with my Bitcoin. So it comes down to that just true ownership piece of it um, and, and custody piece of it too. Like if I'm going to own these assets and I'm going to custody these assets, then if I have the ability to have a say in how those are moved and what is happening within that ecosystem, then I want to do that. So that was both simple and complex. So hopefully simple enough. So I, uh, I did a presentation on UTXOs. It was a uh, WTF is a, UT, a UTXO at, uh, the indie Bitcoin meetup and it, uh, did not go well. I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, like right before it got kicked off, I was in the middle of a conversation and I got like, it was one of those moments where like your brain just is empty and like yeah. I had stuff prepared to talk and I was like, guys, this is just not my best effort at the end. I was like, I just wanted to, to slink out of there. So. I understand what a UTXO is, even though um, those that were at the meetup uh, might question that. Um, how would you des describe a UTXO? Because I think it's really important. Uh, I have my own way of trying to explain it. But uh, Jacob, do you want to give us a, a quick, because I know you mentioned that at the beginning, uh, what a UTXO is. Yeah. So UTXO, UTXO stands for Unspent Transaction Output. And so what that means is that when you send um, Bitcoin from, even if it's just to yourself, what's going to happen is there's going to be a split in that transaction because with every transaction, um, not, well, not everyone, you can try and force a free transaction through, through, but with most transactions, you pay a minor fee. And so if I'm sending five Bitcoin across, I'm going to have these very round rough numbers, 4.9 go to my wallet, 0.5 go to pay the miners fee. That miner would be very happy with me paying that fee, of course. But basically these two uh, legs here, those are individual UTXOs. And so what that really means is that a UTXO is representative of the Bitcoin that you own. So what your wallet is doing, what my node is doing, is it's saying, hey, you have these various UTXOs that have a specific amount of Bitcoin on them. This is what the wallet software points to, to say that, hey, this, this wallet owns A UTXO, B UTXO, and C UTXO. And when you're looking at your wallet, you're just going to see the combined balance of that. Let's say that's, you know, 6.5 Bitcoin all in. That could be split up into 20 different UTXOs. You're going to see it as a single balance. But that's basically where each of your individual Bitcoin allocations are um, oh, allocated, for lack of a better word. That's where they're sitting on the blockchain. Um, is within, or not within the blockchain, but um, within your node is within these specific allocations there. So it's basically just representative of the Bitcoin that you own. It's obfuscated because the UX on them isn't great. But when you start talking about, uh, you know, privacy enhancements for your Bitcoin, it becomes very important to understand how to utilize the, the UTXO stuff. Mm -hmm. the yeah. So uh, on a high level, it's sort of like you're looking at your bank account online and you see a hundred dollars, but when you go to the bank teller to withdraw that hundred dollars, you know, you could get three twenties and, and, and four tens or whatever combination that you want. Uh, so that's sort of a way of thinking about UTXOs is sort of like your denomination of Bitcoin that you hold. And if you are wanting to send 0.5 Bitcoin and you have 
one address with 0.25 Bitcoin and another address with 0.25 Bitcoin, you can combine the two to send that 0.5. Or if you have 0.7 in one UTXO, you could send 0.5 of that 0.7 and keep the 0.2. So uh, that's that's sort of a, a tradfi way of explaining UTXOs. Yep, that's that was where I was going to go with it. It's like you open up your wallet, you have $200. The de- denominations can be all over the board, but you can still have $200. And I think that's a... It's an easier way to do it. And I think with, you know, our, our current like change amounts and dollars, like you can, you can visually show that pretty easy. I think sometimes it's hard to listen to it and, and intuitively grasp it, but um, right. we can put in the show notes river financial has an awesome write up on mm-hmm. UTXOs. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. Cause that's one that I have referenced in the past for people when they have questions. River financial has a great write up on pretty much every yeah, concept. I, we, we should give, <laughs> we should throw them a bone. Like they're excellent. Yeah. <laughs> They're really great. We use them a lot in our presentations as well. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, that's too, this is why, you know, I talked about layer twos a little bit, why something like a, a, a Mercury wallet, it's a state chain, why something like that is so interesting because it's basically, it is literally taking today's format and putting it within Bitcoin as far as, so with Bitcoin, right? When we talk about these UTXOs, we could use whatever combination that we wanted. So if we had one Bitcoin and we had three UTXOs, one could be 0.333 Bitcoin, one could be 0.25173, whatever Bitcoin, and the last one could be five something or whatever, equals up to one. It's all very specific combinations versus something like a Mercury wallet where it does put it into basically like the pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters, um, mindset where it's hey if you're going to interact within this ecosystem these are the specific denominations we're going to use and if you have a balance outside of that it can be included in your balance but it's not how you're going to transact you're only able to transact in nickels dimes pennies whatever um across too so it that's where it is kind of interesting where you see like that replication coming back because there is a good reason for uh not having products that are you know, hey, this costs twenty seven dollars and and point three two four seven nine cents because nobody cares that much to <laughs> what the specifics are after a certain while. What do you uh, What do you think is the biggest conversation point you've had? You know, with clients, with friends, when trying to delineate between Bitcoin and broader crypto. I know you yeah. talked about earlier; it was just the thing that made sense. But when you have conversations and I would imagine in your, let's say friends group or within, you know, the, the financial planners that you uh, connect with, you're probably the Bitcoin guy, right? And, and we all know that in our groups of friends or relations, like the Bitcoin person. And so any of those questions come to them. Um, what have those questions look like recently or, or how have you seen like a consistent theme of, of questions? Yeah. I wouldn't say there's necessarily been a consistent theme. I mean, a lot of the folks that I work with, there it, it's a lot of time it's their first experience with bitcoin it's not too many that have kind of already got a, a base level understanding of it and then can ask some questions around it i mean it truly just is like what in the world is bitcoin and most of the, most of the time it's phrased as what is crypto so yeah i mean that that's my biggest mm-hmm. piece is yeah delineating between those two and hey how are these really different and why are they different and why is that important for you, you know, why, why does it matter um, that Bitcoin was the first uh, crypto asset to be out there? Why does it matter that I can run my own node and 
verified a blockchain? Why does it matter that Bitcoin is the most um, distributed decentralized system? It, so it's just talking through all those points and basically just saying, all right, here's Bitcoin, here's everything else. And then talking through, yeah, okay, here's why a hard cap is important. Um, and, and, you know, what it really comes down to uh, for a lot of folks is it's really just the mindset that a lot of crypto is basically just, and I mean, we're seeing more of this as of recently, it's just unregistered securities. I'm not saying necessarily every single altcoin is like some folks might. But I mean, 99 point, however many nines you want to put on of on it are, and maybe all of them are. I, I, but it really gets down to that mindset of talking through like, okay, if this is just a company that's not acting like a company, you know, is, is the is the the investable case or the investment case for that? Because that's the most people are starting. The same as Bitcoin. And it's like, no, it's not. Bitcoin is a completely alternate monetary system versus, um, you know, I guess we can just do the proverbial Ethereum where it's a world computer where, yeah, there's a, there's a monetary aspect to it, you know, ultrasound money and all that sort of stuff. But it's more so that it's accomplishing or trying to accomplish all these other things that a blockchain could accomplish. And I always put it in quotations because it's like, to me, the only use case for a blockchain is sound money right now um, versus all these other use cases. Um, to me, it's to be determined whether they're actually viable and, over the long term, if they are viable, are they still going to settle on alternative blockchains that have these alternative um, assets associated with them? Or are they going to settle on the most secure, the most decentralized layer, which is Bitcoin, right? I mean, it's just, it goes back to the mindset of, okay, we're not using 10 different internet protocols. We're using one internet protocol. And a lot of cool things have been built upon that. But at the end of the day, it's only one. And that's Bitcoin. And the Facebook and the MySpace is Ethereum and Ripple and whatever other cryptocurrency you want to put on it. You know, that, that that's, uh, I guess, a good way to frame it. What would you reply to an advisor that says they don't allocate to currencies as a reason why they wouldn't want to own Bitcoin? Because you talked about it being, a, yep. you know, and I agree with you, Bitcoin is a is a currency. It is a it, it is likely the global reserve currency that I think, you know, you Trent and I will all see in our lifetimes. Maybe we're old and gray, but you know, <laughs> our, our grandkids will be like, hey, tell us about the early days of Bitcoin, right? So yeah. to an advisor that says that, because I've, I've heard that a couple of times, what would you say? Uh, it's not just a currency, simply. Uh, there's much more to it than being a currency. It's a completely alternative financial system to the one we have today. I mean, you, you could replicate a lot of what we do on Bitcoin. Um, and get close to it. But at the end of the day, it, it's having a base of sound money versus having a base of unsound money. Um, and so Bitcoin, the currency is just an aspect of Bitcoin, the network. And it's, you know, saying, oh, I don't want to own a currency. Great. Me neither. I don't own any other currencies, but I do own Bitcoin. I own Bitcoin, not because it's a currency, but because it's an alternative monetary system that I believe will over the long term play out more favorably than a fiat money system will. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe that's not in our lifetimes, but I really don't care. Um, at the end of the day, that's it's more of a principled um, principled thing for me than it is, hey, I want to get ultra wealthy and rich. It's just, no, I truly think there's inherent evil in inflation and in our current monetary system. And um, that 
again, some of that evil can be replicated no matter what sort of base level uh, money, money we have. But at the very least, the incentives are different uh, to not act in the same way that we are now. What uh, I know you talked about coming at it from a technical perspective, and I think most advisors will come at it. I think you either come at Bitcoin technical or monetary policy, right? From like money or technical. And I think it's really interesting being a financial advisor and coming at it from a technical perspective. What do you think is a really good technical resource for advisors to like up their game and get some of the technical pieces? Because it is important to understand both. I came from it from a monetary side and I've learned the technical along the way. Um, But do you have any favorite resources or things you would point to that you really like that would be helpful? Yeah. So there's this thing, I don't know if you guys have heard it. It's called the internet. Um, like all the information you could ever want is on there. <laughs> so, and, uh, there's also something not Google cause, uh, not a Google thing, but you can use brave, uh, and use a search engine and just start searching. Um, no, I mean, seriously, like that, that's just how I operate. I, I just, I guess that I'm kind of curious so I can just kind of go out and figure it out. But legitimately some of the things that have helped one we've already mentioned is the river kind of Bitcoin wiki. I mean, there's just a wealth of information on there that is just extremely helpful in understanding some of this. Um, and then the other big one, and it is this is definitely more technical. I would not start here is the Bitcoin Optech newsletter. Um, and that's literally just a newsletter that's you know discussing all the kind of things about Bitcoin. Um, you know, what, just basically what's going on in the ecosystem is more technical business. So, there's there yeah you know unfortunately outside of that it's really yeah just being curious about it and and going and doing the things i mean that, that's why i have a node that's why i went to self-custody fairly quickly once i started learning about this stuff because it was it was just something where it's like oh this is interesting and i can read and watch a youtube whatever else like um btc, BTC sessions on youtube that'd be another good one to learn some more technical aspects you know, how to send money, why to send money, how to set up a wallet, how to set up a multi-sig wallet, how to set up your node, whatever you want to do. He's got it on there. Um, but at the end of the day, it, yeah, it just comes down to curiosity and just start start Googling stuff. Proverbial Google. I still yeah. recommend Google. BTC, yeah, BTC Sessions is definitely like my best friend that I've only met one time. And it's because he's helped me so much throughout yeah. my Bitcoin journey. Like if I'm helping somebody get custody and I'm not right there with them, then I will send them a video, whether it's blue wallet or, you know, moon or any other non-custodial wallet where they are sending the, the person I'm helping is sending to themselves. I will always, always, always send a BTC sessions video and just be like, just at the very least skim this it's 20 minutes and it will tell you everything that you need to know. So he, he and Ian major is another one. And there's, I'm sure there's some other, YouTube tutorialists out there. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, overstate how helpful those kinds of people are and how much they progress, uh, individual sovereignty in using Bitcoin tools. There's a wealth of knowledge out there. So Jacob, you kind of, uh, mentioned, you know, when you're having conversations with clients, they're coming to you, they're asking what is crypto and things like that. Um, when or if and when you onboard them and help them buy Bitcoin or whatever it is, are you 
take us through that process. Are you doing that with them right there? Are you kind of saying, hey, here's the resources, check it out for yourself? What does that look like? Yeah, for most people, yeah, it's definitely hand-holding the whole way through. Um, you know, I do have some clients that they're fairly familiar with it now that they can go and do it themselves. But yeah, I mean, I, unfortunately I'm still using Coinbase for most of it. Um, I I honestly don't have too much against Coinbase, but it's just, uh, you know, there's, I I would prefer to use some of the Bitcoin only custodians. It's just the ease is not there, especially when I'm trying to help new clients like Coinbase, you you look at Coinbase, you look at Fidelity, TD, whatever, and the experience is similar. It makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, it's basically just hopping on, screen sharing. All right, yep, let's buy it on Coinbase. If they already have assets on Coinbase, then it's, um, you know, whatever wallet that they are using. I try to get everybody on a hardware wallet. Not everybody does. So sometimes it's just a a software wallet that's still self-custodying. But, yeah, just walking through it. All right, here's how to buy. If we're going to do reoccurring, set up the weekly reoccurring or monthly recurring, whatever it's going to be. And then help them walk through that transfer as well. That's always important, especially that first time as far as transferring from an exchange to off an exchange to whatever wallet they're going to. That's always the confusing one, right? Cause you've got this big, long alphanumeric thing, XPUB. What in the world is this? I have a QR mm-hmm. code. Like it's, you know, and it's, it's easy to say, well, this is just like your routing and your, your account number on a, on your checking account. Um, and that's fine and dandy, but it still doesn't fully click until somebody sees sees that. So, yeah, I'll, I'll help them set up that transfer. Best practice is always, always to do a small amount first, the rest of it second, just to make sure you've got your information correct. Um, and then the fun part with that is since I run my own node, I'll always go in and show the folks their transaction, not only when it's waiting to be confirmed, but after it's already been confirmed, um, just to, you know, show them like, Hey, this is you. And this is where, you know, when we talk high level about the, um, uh, anonymous aspect of Bitcoin, I know there's obviously that's a whole nother thing, but on its base level, if there is never any KYC, Bitcoin is anonymous. So we can talk through and say, yeah, nobody necessarily knows this is you just by looking at this. Um, and so it's always just cool to show people that because you can't open up or most people, I should say, can't open up Fedwire and say, all right, here's your wire going across. Mm-hmm. Like it's a pretty profound thing to show people like, yeah, there's there's your money and here's where it sits on the blockchain now. And, you know, when it shows up in their wallet, it's just kind of like the light bulb always goes off. So, yeah it's, yeah, it's really helping them start to finish, get it on that wallet and then. You know, if they need follow up after that to to move it again or move more, then yeah, doing that as well. Yeah, I think that's a great um, a great practice that you employ right there. Um, you know, when you send that transaction and it goes into the waiting room that you mentioned, the mempool, uh, that is my that is you know a bunch of transactions sitting in this waiting room. Uh, waiting to be confirmed by a miner that is expending real world energy uh, to solve the puzzle uh, to add another block to the chain. And in order to incentivize the miner to include your transaction in that block, you can determine the amount, the fee amount that you are willing to pay. That can range from pennies to thousands or even millions of dollars if you really, really wanted it to. Uh, it's all a matter of how quickly do you need this done? How urgent is this transaction? 
And that is, that's just a beautiful free market at work. You know, if I am in no rush, then I might, um, attach a one sat per V byte or two sat per V byte fee, which is, you know, a couple pennies. Uh, and that might take three days to be confirmed on the blockchain, but I'm in no rush. Conversely, you know, if I want it ASAP, then I can, and I'm moving, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, I'm moving four Bitcoin, uh, then I would be more than happy to attach a 1% fee, which is a thousand dollars, um, which would be an exorbitant fee at today's prices. Uh, but I, I just think that, um, seeing that free market in action is, is sort of, um, it's encouraging. You know, we don't see, we don't see too many of those where there's no preference being placed for big banks over retail or anything else. It's, you want to be included now, pay the fee. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're located or anything like that. So I think that's a great process to take people through. Yeah. And it's also good too, just from the, you know, you talk about the fees there, right? And so I'll, I'll kind of talk fees briefly with them um, before we send it. But once it gets in the mempool, that's when it's like, okay, so see how it's sitting here? And maybe it's going to sit there for a while, right? Like, because I've had that happen sometimes where you send it off a of Coinbase and then, you know, fees just go crazy high for whatever reason or it gets congested. And then guys are like, uh, where's my money, right? And then it's just back to this, hey, mm -hmm. it's right there. Like, it's going, right? And it's just, it's again, that kind of light bulb thing. And it's just learning, oh, hey, this, yeah, I, I understand this, this understanding piece of how the, the network itself works, even if you don't understand the specifics. Like, they don't know, okay, sat, B by whatever, like, okay, fees, I got to pay money for this. What are you talking about? Like, but getting some of that base level knowledge just to see how it's different. Um, from where we're at right now um, and how money is sent and transferred and all that sort of thing. I just, I think it's a, it's mm -hmm. a powerful thing in many ways to, to visualize. Jacob, what's uh, one thing that you're most excited about that you think is applicable to financial advisors when it comes to Bitcoin? I know we talked about L2, so I'm going to guess that's where we're, we're going to come back to, but curious, I know there's lots of cool stuff going on, but what do you yeah. think out there today is, is it, exciting or encouraging to uh, advisors around Bitcoin? Yeah. Uh, to me, for us, the most exciting thing is quasi-custodial models. Um, so Unchained, perfect example. Unchained, you got a two or three Unchained, the third of three keys, right? Uh, why in the world can an advisor be the third of three keys instead of Unchained on that? Like, we're not taking custody of anything. We can't take custody, custody of anything, at least initially. Obviously, there's something down the road where, hey, if they actually lose a key, then something has to be done. So, you know, maybe there's some problem that we run into eventually with that or have to figure out. But I want to figure that out. I mean, to me, that makes all the sense in the world because then it ties it back into this kind of uh, new age community bank type thing where the advisor is the central hub to that trusted advisor is instead of some other institution type thing and it's like um to me that that just that just gets me going because it's like okay i've got all my clients not only do they are they on them on multi-sig setups which to me at least right now is still probably most applicable for most people i i'm not like a multi i actually don't i don't do multi-sig for most of my own stuff i used to and then i changed it because i'm like yeah I, I really just don't feel like i i need this with how i'm doing things but for most people, I do think that it's the best way to set up your, especially your cold storage stuff. And so it's just, it gets back mm -hmm. to, again, like we're already the trusted advisor there. Why do we need to introduce another third party to come in and muddy those waters up? Um, 
and even above and beyond that, then it allows us to have the ability. All right, we've got a corporate node that we run all this stuff through. Back to all those same things. Okay, yeah, we've got we've got a coin join pool. Like we use, so call it a join market, right? So it's a, a self-hosted or open source uh, coin join pool. Okay, yeah, we've we've got our own instance of that that's running uh, that we can get you set up and going through. Like, there's a lot to be figured out with how to do that appropriately and within. Um, really no regulatory framework, but figuring out what that's going to be. But to me, that's the most exciting thing because I just, I think there's just, you know, right now there's probably a minority of people who might want that or use that. But especially if Bitcoin continues down the path that we think it's going to go, um, there's going to be more and more need for that. And that's not even just individuals. Mm-hmm. That's okay. We've got businesses. We've got to figure out custody solutions for having an advisor be a part of those. Like, I just think that's where like an advising service, so to say, you could almost say with all of this is. So like, if you think, you know, I, I don't know how you guys work, but I definitely do the, and it's talk about insurance, estate planning, taxes, cash flow, like business planning, all, anything that money touches is what we talk about. And so it's just like, it's almost another piece of that pie. Whereas before, if there's six pieces or seven pieces, yeah, we we do Bitcoin too. And it's not just like Bitcoin as an allocation. It's Bitcoin as, again, all these things I just talked about, custodial solutions, um, access to network things that they're not going to be able to do themselves because they need to you don't need to necessarily run your own LSP. But if your advisor has one, that's pretty stinking cool too, because now I can use them in a more trustless way versus... Um, versus, you know, just trusting some random company. Cause that's, that's, I guess that's another piece too, is I know there's some hardcore proponents of Bitcoin that are like, you know, the only way is non-custodial and everybody has to be there no matter what. Um, but you know, no matter if it's base layer, layer two, layer three, whatever, it has to be non-custodial. I just don't see that as a reality anytime in the near future. And so these kind of quasi custodial models, um, or even fully custodial models, but with trusted parties is where we could really, really fit in. Um, I think at least it's just, you know, again, so much to be played out there. Well, that's, that's interesting. And we can touch on this for a little bit because I would consider what you mentioned quasi collaborative custody. Um, I, I just call it collaborative custody. I would consider that self custody because, you know, maybe for the uh, uninitiated out there, uh, what Jacob was talking about earlier, a two of three multi-sig. Uh, that means that there are three keys that uh, have the potential to sign off on a transaction to send funds, uh, and you need two of them in order to do so. So in this relationship, the client would hold two keys. They would hold the majority, and then a third party who I wouldn't even call them trusted – uh, but you can if it sort of you know helps it click for people. Uh, a third party they hold the other one, uh, so that and that would be beneficial in one case where a client and again or not again but to preface this multi signature solutions. This is for long term savings. This is not for Bitcoin that you're sending regularly. This is for you know uh, years potentially that you're going to hold this Bitcoin. Um, And a client could come to their advisor, their third party, whoever it is that's holding the third key and say, hey, I don't have access to one of these two keys. I need your help in sending this transaction. So for people that are listening that might not be so well versed on this, 
uh, you don't have to trust that third party. And in fact, it would be easier for an advisor to take money out of client accounts today than it would be to send Bitcoin to themselves. Now, getting away with it is a different story, but in terms of actually possessing the money, it would be easier to steal it from your client's brokerage accounts today compared to uh, sending a collaborative custody transaction. Yeah, and I think where where I go with the trust part of that, like a trusted partner, is it's more so, and this is where, again, you, you go far enough down these rabbit holes and it gets a little crazy, but it's like, I, I view that as more with Unchained, they they know your addresses, they know your UTXOs, they can see all your transactions, right? Because they have that third of three key, they, they, they can see that information. And so there is some level of trust there that if uh, uh, a um, bad entity would gain that information or request that information or force that information, and they're required to hand that over, um, that, you know, you have to have some trust in that they're going to fight that as much as they can or do whatever they is in your best interest as the client in that situation. And yeah. so it's more from that piece of it where it's, you know, am I saying that's likely? Hopefully not. I hope it never really comes to hmm. that, but that's where I go with that sort of piece is it's like, they still have your information. And even if it's just tracking your yeah. spending, right, it might not be that they're someone's asking to have friends over. It's just, Hey, we want to know, who owns what? So we are able to map the network out more. That's where we, as an individual or as a you know a, a small advising firm, can get away with maybe a no longer than an unchained can because they probably don't know about mm-hmm. me like they would unchained for you know yeah. if any, everything else withstanding. You're not raising quite the same amount of money that they are at the moment. Is that what you're telling me? No. <laughs> yep. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, no, I am not. <laughs> Um, Hey, I, I greatly appreciate this, Jacob. I think we need to have you back in the future and go through some technical pieces, like very specific questions and structure it that way, because I think it'd be super helpful. And maybe what we, what I might do is bring a, an advisor that is more of a newbie that would have those questions and we can kind of do a round table if you're interested in doing that, but yeah, this is sure. super helpful. Really, really appreciate it. Um, one thing I failed to do in a previous episode was to have a handoff. So Twitter handle places to reach out, where should people uh, try to connect with you best if they want to yeah. chat? Twitter is the best place for sure. My handle is coldbitrun, C-O-L-B-I-T-R-U-N, stands for Colorado Bitcoin Runner, because I run, I enjoy running more than I enjoy <laughs> Bitcoin. So I don't know there, but yeah, definitely just uh, find me on Twitter. Um, I've got some exciting news that'll be coming up here soon about my professional capacity. So uh, that is kind of TBD announced there, but that'll be, that'll be posted on my, uh, on my Twitter. So you guys can all, all follow me there and, uh, you know, see what's going on. Awesome. Appreciate well, thanks it. for joining Jacob. I always wondered what the handle was about. So now <laughs> I know you learn something new every day, but I uh, really appreciate your technical knowledge and coming on the podcast. It was great to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Enjoyed it.